you know, I just saw the, the need. You know, it's one of those things from an already having the entrepreneur bug and the, the company I was running is a professional services type company. It's billing by the hour, tough to get ahead. Um, and uh, saw the fact that a lot of internship programs could benefit from being better and, and a lot more could benefit from, from being in the first place. And so I've developed a, a set of materials to sell to companies to help them, you know, here you go. Uh, everything you need to, to set up a program and then develop another set of materials that was to train the supervisors to help them do it productively and, and you know, have mentors be involved. And then as that developed, because it was so unique, that intellectual property, I was not able to get it valuated uh, by investors. Uh, there, there, was no, there was no comparison that they would put money into the organization for me to expand. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I just had a delightful interview with Matt Zinman. Now, Matt has just written a book called Zism, a play on his last name. And really, he was talking about insights to live by. So hopefully you'll enjoy that episode or this episode uh, with Matt. Now, one of the things we really do talk about is our mindset and how having clarity is so important. And one of the new things that CRG has is our new online program called What Do You Really Value? Based on the Values Preference Indicator. We take you through the assessment. You get an assessment with uh, signing up for the e-course. And on the other side of that, you will be 100% clear about what's most important in your life from a values point of view. And then we take you actually through a forced choice matrix where you'll make 300 decisions in less than 30 minutes. So it's a very, very powerful exercise. And then in the e-course, we take you to the next level of understanding it, how to apply it, and then just digging down to get to know uh, where to apply these values, where there are gaps, and what to do to the next level. As always, we thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, uh, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on. You are listening to Secrets of Success, and here's our interview with Matt Zinman. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I always like to have a young person, and when I say young person, somebody that's a lot less in age than myself on the show just to bring energy and dynamics in early success that they have in their life and what they're teaching others. So welcome to the show, Matt Zimmon. Thank you, Ken. Great to be with you. Now, Matt, say your last name correctly, 100% correctly. Uh, you had it. Yeah, Zinman. Mm -hmm. Zinman. And you've recently written, written a book called, Z how do you say that? Z-isms? Z-isms, yeah. It's, you know, in Canada, with Z, it, it does create a little bit more confusion. Z-isms versus Z-isms. You know, call it, uh, and call it whatever you want. Around the world, so we're still in English, so that's fine. It's <laughs> nice to live by. So I'm in the minority. Yeah. Well, there we go. It is what it is. It doesn't matter. Data, data, it doesn't matter to me. 
tomato, tomato. So, uh, Matt, and I appreciate you taking the time to be on our show. What I like to do is, you know, before we get into the concepts of your book and this insights to live by as far as the subtitle of what you've written there, and thanks for doing that, is just a little bit of your journey. And how did you come to this place in your life where you're helping others and assisting them to, you know, realize their potential? So uh, where did you grow up and where did you sort of hang out in the beginning of your life? Sure. Uh, well, uh, mainly in and around Philadelphia and uh, spent my summers in northern Ontario. I'm an ice hockey player and uh, still play. So I, I. So what were you doing in, in Ontario? Were you a part of a junior league where you were kind of transported up there to, to play hockey? I did some exchange programs and some host families and things like that, but I mainly uh, went to a training camp uh, about 300 miles north of Toronto, way up there in the wilderness. I'd fly into North Bay and then drive down uh, every summer and then, you know, half the time certainly on the ice and then enjoying it as a, as a camp and water skiing. And then I was a water ski instructor up there and I just loved it. And how did you come to uh, hang out in Ontario for hockey? I mean, Philly is a pretty strong hockey town in, in itself. Well, yes, I mean, but in the summer when you've got the, uh, you know, I mean, I'll admit at the moment that Canadian hockey is probably a little bit more dedicated than American hockey. Mm. But during the summer in training, uh, going up to uh, a camp up there and, and just the instructors were great and, you know, the, the power skating and the technique. And I had to get my game, you know, elevated so I can come back to, uh, to the U.S. and show everybody what it's like. Mm. Now, what age did you start to do this or commuting up there to this hockey camp? When I started playing hockey at seven, and then I guess I started going up there around nine or, or ten, and then I went you know, into my you know, early mm -hmm. mid-teens. Now, how did, your, how did your parents select this location? Like, how did they even find out about this place? And, and of course, I know where North Bay is. And those of you that are listening, it is quite a ways north of Toronto. So how did they even find out about this place? Wow. I'm, I'm not sure I could totally give you the answer <laughs> at this point in time. It was so many years ago. But, you know, they loved it, too. They would, they would come up uh, toward the tail end. Uh, of the summer and, you know, get a cabin and, uh, and you know, for about two weeks and then come in and watch the, the tournament games and things like that. So, you know, you, ha you know how it is. It's part of the culture and, and being travel team. And, uh, you know, God bless my parents for, you know, being hockey parents. For sure. So what was it that your parents did as, as far as roles and responsibilities when they're growing up or professions? Uh, my dad was, uh, he was an accountant. He was a financial planner. My mom was a respiratory therapist, travel agent. Uh, you know, she did, she did it all. Um, but, uh, but, you know, some years back and, and, you know, they're both not with us. Uh, uh, you know, it's been a number of years, but, mm. uh, you know, those were some seriously, some very, some of my fondest memories with them, uh, in Canada. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Now, as a young person, you know, seven, eight, nine, or ten, what, twelve, whatever it is, what could you share with the audience of some of the things you learned being "quote unquote" farmed out early um, to be on your own at that age in a camp that uh, the audience might be able to consider and apply to their own lives? Right. You know, back then, uh, it, I, it was it was not as uncommon 
you know, but if you think of, you know, taking my nine-year-old and putting him on a plane by himself up to Toronto and then up to North Bay, and my parents are just probably just trying to get rid of me, come to think of it at the time. Well, it's a possibility, but I, I, have, no, I have no evidence <laughs> to prove either Right. Way. No, you, you know. Like, you seem like a nice enough guy now, but yeah, I don't know what yeah. you were back then. No, I was a good kid, but, you know, the, one thing that I learned, and this was uh, just preceding my, my going up there in the early clinics, was that I... Actually, it took a puck in the face. I, I, my, my jaw broken in three places in one of my first summer clinics. And, you know, it was very important to me to, to come back and, and keep playing. And, uh, and you know, that was a, that perseverance was certainly a, a major influence uh, that stuck with me. And, and hockey's been just such a, a great part of my, my life throughout uh, you know, back to Temple University, captaining them, and we were undefeated champions. And I played on Team USA in my in my mid-teens. That's about as far as my career got. But uh, now it's beer league, so you know I'm in my early 50s now, and I'm still playing. And uh, there's no complaint. <laughs> well, just so you know, um, meeting you on on camera in your photo, you don't look like you're 50. Looking right. like 32. Right. So that's good. yeah. Okay. Thank we'll, you. We'll, it's we'll stick with that, Matt. It's the ice hockey, Ken. <laughs> That's, well, hey, uh, I quit after my son put a um, puck in my eye uh, not that long ago in, uh, I won't call it a beer league, but just sort of a pickup league that we had as well. So I enjoyed the game. Uh, but at my age now, I figured my health is just a little bit more important versus breaking bones or getting a puck and bleeding all over the ice. Fair so, enough. <laughs> so with that, and congratulations on um, you know being on the U.S. team. When you think about um, university, what was the degree that you took? I actually graduated with journalism, uh, with a focus in marketing, communication, uh, public relations, and uh, and then actually had a number of internships that led me into that career. Mm. What was driving sort of that interest at that time of your life? You know, interesting, I, I actually went into college wanting to be uh, you know, a film major, and I started that way, and then I, as I learned more about it, I decided that I, I wasn't sure I could be that starving artist. I didn't know if I had the grit at the time mm-hmm. to go all the way, and then, and then what it took to, to make it into that profession. And, uh, and, you know, I had internships with Warner Brothers Studios and things. I really did get to know the industry, uh, but... It was a it was a good lateral move for me. I like to write, so getting into journalism and and some of the some of the professors there uh, were a great influence on me to go into the field. Cool. What did you learn as a captain of the hockey team at your university in terms of leadership? You know, when you think about the age and you you have all your peers are kind of hanging out with you, what are some of the things that sort of you took with you with life lessons to do and also not to do? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, the captain uh, was voted by the players. I was captain junior and senior year. Um, you know, I, I, I guess that to a degree it speaks to some leadership qualities that my teammates felt that way about me, uh, probably because I'm the one just chattering between shifts and always telling people what to do. <laughs> I probably <laughs> figured, you know, may as well just, he's going to talk anyway. So, you know, let, let put the C on him. But uh, I, I just... Uh, I, it's all, you know, hockey in itself has always been a great outlet in, in helping me in uh, my acceptance and socially and as a great outlet personally and physically. And, 
um, and and those leadership skills, you know, I think carried through uh, into my career. So it was a great foundation for sure. Mm, cool. So you finish hockey. Um, congratulations on playing for Team USA. I mean, that's not an easy feat to be selected to be on that team. So then, what did you do after that, Matt? Um, well, I should say, you know, I was probably the I was probably the last sub in <laughs> for the team, and I want to prop up my uh, my hockey career, uh, you know, much beyond that. But I, you know, I just followed the path uh, as described and went into marketing and public relations. I worked for various agencies in and around Philadelphia for about ten years, and then in around '02, I went into business for myself, started my own marketing company, and then several years later, uh, got into the nonprofit world. Uh, nonprofit, explain. So I started a nonprofit called the Internship Institute. So I did a lateral move from my from my marketing days to the passion that I had gained around internships, and uh, have run that uh, since then uh, to help companies, uh, even solopreneurs, to uh, run internship programs and and you know make it a win for everybody. So that's been my passion, uh, you know, leading up to uh, to now. Mm. So where did the book come in, uh, come out? And say to the audience again the title of your book. Sure. So it's Z-isms, spelled with a Z, and uh, insights to live by. And the it, it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. There are a number of concepts in the book that uh, I felt a, a responsibility that I had th- these insights that I feel I've gained through my life and experiences that I wanted to share and you know, I think a lot of people talk about, well, you know, I want to write a book. And I, I got to the point, you know, that I, I asked myself, what would I regret not doing? And that the book definitely came to the top of the list and uh, started it last summer and just put my head down. And, you know, there's no other way but through, you know, just like grinding it out. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad it, it, it definitely, uh, it definitely hit the mark I was looking for, so I'm feeling very proud of it. Great, great. So if you were to, so we'll we'll come back to the book in one minute here. Sure. So what would you? So you have this uh, nonprofit on really internships. Then right. what else is that you're doing? You're still running that marketing company then? Uh, no, the marketing company uh, I transitioned from into the the nonprofit back then. Uh, I also team up with my wife, uh, Erica with uh, a company called Isogenics, a uh, nutrition company. So uh, we do, you know, it's network marketing and we do that. And, uh, you know, she's the rock star there. But uh, that's something that uh, I get involved in as well. Uh, but, you know, that's plenty. I, I usually can only do one thing well at a time. <laughs> so uh, I try and keep it compartmentalized and, and uh, go from one thing to the next and, and so, put my head down and stay focused. Well, thank you for that. How do you uh, set up a nonprofit for the Intern Institute? So you're the founder of this and the CEO. Yep. So right. obviously you're drawing some kind of salary from that. So how does this nonprofit internship organization work? Sure. Just, so uh, we're going back to 2005 to 2007 was my transition period from the marketing company. And you know, I just saw the, the need. You know, it's one of those things from an already having the entrepreneur bug and the, the company I was running is a professional services type company. It's billing by the hour, tough to get ahead. Um, and uh, saw the, the, the fact that a lot of internship programs uh, could, uh, could benefit from being better and, and a lot more could benefit from, from being in the first place. And so I, I 
developed a, a set of materials to, uh, to, to sell to companies to help them, you know, here you go, uh, everything you need to, to set up a program and then develop another set of materials that was to train the supervisors to help them do it productively and, and you know, have mentors be involved. And then as that developed, because it was so unique, that intellectual property, I was not able to get it evaluated uh, by investors. Uh, there, there, was no, there was no comparison that they would put money into the organization for me to expand. And yet I was working in workforce development and touching on things like economic development. And by that I mean like brain drain. You may mm -hmm. have heard that term where mm -hmm. the college students in some economic area might graduate and go elsewhere and internships or something that helps them, you know, take root and, and then as a pathway to a job. So there were grants and, and that was something that led me into the nonprofit. I got a federal grant, um, you know, back in 07, 08, 09 and, and ran that, uh, and, and have had several grants since then. So, but, you know, ultimately for the nonprofit, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. And, and, and at the same time, I'll say I would not recommend doing a nonprofit to anyone who uh, does not have the ability to have it function uh, as a for-profit in the sense that it'll be also self-sustaining. You, know, mm -hmm. you, you can't rely on grants. You can't rely on donors or corporate or anything. You really can only rely on yourself. So uh, unless you know you can get a nonprofit to self-sustaining uh, stature, don't do it. Now, do you place interns or are you just uh – Interns, are you just help companies with how to set up a system to, to have internships? Exactly the latter. Now, placing interns is, uh, takes a lot of capacity. It's one of the things that I certainly want to build up to at some point, uh, actually hiring veterans in that way for that purpose and, and, and then some. And, and you know, that really kind of gets into the systemic side of you know, why I formed the nonprofit. But for now, it's really specifically working with employers, mainly small. I mean, it could be an ind individual uh, entrepreneur, uh, you know, company under 150, but I've worked with very large companies too. It just depends. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, obviously your heart is to help younger individuals get placed and learn and be mentored. What, what's really driving that motivation underneath that for you to even want to be in this space? Well, one of the things that got me into it was that I had four internships and uh, the last one led me into my, my first job and I I always enjoyed going back to the schools, uh, both my alma mater with Temple and the area colleges, and talking to the students about their career fields and, and you know landing on their feet and things like that. And I ran the internship programs for my former employers. I mean, at this point in my career, uh, you know, just by you know sheer numbers, I'm probably over you know 300 interns that I've I've had through through my career. And mm -hmm. so running my own program. As, as I started in 2002 and did it virtually required a lot more structure. So it, it was just when I, when I was looking at my next entrepreneurial step there, it was, you know, how can I align my passion with my skill set and experience with a market need? And, uh, and, and that's where things really uh, converged. So I'm just going to give you an opportunity to kind of sell what you're doing here for a moment. So why are internships valuable and what do we need to consider? Let's two or three points if you're going to have a su successful internship process. But sure. First, why, why should we even consider this concept of internship? And by the way, I support it 100%. My daughter is now working at a, I'll call it a headhunting uh, agency, and that was as a result of an internship she had during university. 
and when she finished, they hired her on afterwards. So we have a sort of vested interest and bias about that internship right. as well. Well, you know, there's no substitute for experience to start with. So if you're now uh, a professional or a parent and, you know, you yourself had, uh, you know, those kinds of, you know, call it an internship, an apprenticeship, you know, by any other name or work study, you know, this is work-based learning and things that you just simply can't learn in the classroom. So that's, that's from the side of the, the person in need of experience. But when it comes to the employer, we really do have to focus on ROI. And so to your question, well, who's an internship program for? Why have one? And my recommend, first of all, it's not for everyone, right? Um, if you're an individual or a company, where you start is to really take a solid inventory of all the kinds of work that you, you do and need to have done. You know, social media, for example, for any business today mm -hmm. is a is a major area where the, the students are, are probably better than, uh, than the professionals to come in and, and be of assistance. So that might be an example of an area where, right, you know, I, I could definitely have a talented student come in and help me with my social media platforms and, and the like. But you really have to be crystal clear so that you can, you can recruit, right, based on that defined need. So that's, that's mm -hmm. step one is to make sure you have a defined need. If you're looking at, in terms of being a company, or even chief bottle washer, you know, solopreneur, you have to, number one, have the buy-in of the CEO. You, you know, there's, there, there's no halfway with it. You, to do it right, you, you have to fold it into the fabric of the organization, and then someone's got to own the ball. So if it's a larger organization, that might be an HR person or, or what have you. And then the supervisors, whoever is working directly with the students, needs to have the training uh, the, really just management training 101, but at the level of effectively and productively uh, putting interns to work. And then the last one would be if you can, if it's a larger company in particular, to have a mentoring program embedded. And that's kind of the glue because then you have the executives uh, mm -hmm. touching the program and, and that's how it becomes culturally embedded. So depending on the scale of your organization, um, you know, you know, I, I basically run still as a as essentially a company of one. I have four interns right now, and that's very that's very productive. But you have to know what you're doing, and there's a certain way to do it right, and 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 to have the uh, the resources to do that. Now, if somebody wanted to find out, Matt, about your internship, where would they go to find out that information? So the nonprofit uh, website where uh, the uh, these resources are is internshipinstitute.org. And, uh, and, and one other thing I would like to say, because as a nonprofit, we do have you know, public service. There was a free site I developed that was really important uh, that has a certain technique for students and job seekers uh, to help them land on their feet. And again, it's free. It's, and it's uh, studentsteps.org. And, uh, and, and so anyone can just go in there and, and you know, have at it. And uh, there's lots of resources they'll find beneficial. Thanks, Matt, for that. So with that, let's transition to, you know, you got motivated, you put your head down as an author of uh, 4 million words of content. I know how much it takes to produce a book and set that up. But one of the things you mention in your book is this whole concept around leap. So let's dive into what you've written. And sure. What are some of the things you're trying to teach people in uh, Zisms? Right. See, I said yeah. it right. Yeah, you sure did. Uh, and, and, and insights for 
Zedisms really doesn't work. So Zisms and you know having your last name with Z Z that doesn't hurt. I get where the title came from. So what are what are some of the things you're really trying to share with sure. your readership uh, about you know can, yeah that they can yeah for sure in life. So uh, you're right. I do have um, a certain affinity for the letter Z. Zen, and uh, that that is part of the origin of the name. But a Zism, which is one of the first questions I get, you know, what is that? Uh, is really something anyone has uh, around their experience and pearls of wisdom, and uh, you know, we all have those things that we've learned that we know could positively impact others if we were to share those with them, and you know, those are the insights to live by. So that's part of it. And and what you mentioned around leap, that's that's part of the the book. In, in the sense that I want it to be actionable. And LEAP stands for Life Enrichment Action Plan. So that's kind of the culmination of it. Mm. At the front end of the book is a concept around uh, something called earned confidence. And it's very applicable right now with what's going on with COVID and the challenges that we're all faced with uh, there and otherwise. And essentially what, it, what earned confidence is about is the fact that we've all been through you know, everything that we have in our lives, whatever that is, and we're still standing, right? We're still here, mm -hmm. and, you know, you always make it through to the other side. So what is the point of worrying and being anxious and stressing about things you really aren't certain are going to happen yet? So it's a lot about staying present and dealing with the real, knowing that you, through your earned confidence, have the ability to do that. So that's that's part of the the foundation of, of the book. And that's one of the things that I, I talk about as being like a filter, right, in terms of how we experience and, and interpret the world around us and, and our, our lives being enriching by staying in the present. Another, actually, there's a, there's a chapter in there about mood health and uh, a scale that's like a thermometer that, you know, talks about depression, talks about elevation, and, you know, how do you keep yourself healthy around there? There's another aspect of being a life athlete and uh, some free tools around, uh, you know, self, self-care report card and ways to keep yourself accountable for staying fit. Uh, certainly also two very important aspects of, you know, how you're experiencing, you know, days, days in and days out. Um, you know, can we also talk about perception itself? Mm -hmm. And you know, we, you know, have all these moving parts of how we take in information in, at all times and how, whatever that is, you know, we, we believe and interpret that as the truth when in fact it's just an interpretation. So it's, it's really important to know uh, and, and be self-aware around that in terms of your interactions. So it's not just about self-discovery. Uh, it's also about personal interactions and relationships and how those things uh, come into play. So there's a lot more to it, but I'll, I'll take pause here. Yeah. Well, well, just to back up in for a second around this mood health. So sure. I have a diploma in nutrition genetics. I tried to commit suicide when I was uh, 19. I see that you had the unfortunate situation with your brother where he was successful with his suicide. Yeah. And so we have sort of this mood health. If we think about the audience, what are some real practical things you have in the list that uh, I want to be able to adjust my mood? Now, right. Obviously, I have some biases that come into play there, but what are some things that the audience members can do immediately after the show and make sure that their mood health is on the positive side of the ledger? Well, first, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought it up and um, um, all the more that you're with us. And 
uh, you know, a lot of people face this one way or the other. I, I didn't exactly inherit the best gene pool uh, myself. Uh, my parents both had, uh, you know, their, their bouts. And, uh, you know, you mentioned my brother. And I don't think there's really any family or even to a degree individual that can go through life you know, not in, in encountering some kind of mental health event. And we dance around it uh, and, and don't take it head on. I thought it was important to do that in the book. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I have uh, contended with depression myself since uh, my, my mid-teens, and it does shape a lot about how I you know, manage my life and, and stay upbeat and things like that. And to your question specifically, uh, and, and, and what we're talking about in a practical way with, uh, you know, with that part of the book is around uh, something called the you know, two to three day rule, which is really for, you know, what I adhere to for myself, which is, you know, we're all going to have down days, you know, the, the weather sags or what have you, or something happens and, you know, we're going to mm -hmm. string together another one. And then if you get to a third day, you know, you really should have like a red flag go up and, you know, depression is, uh, you know, if you've never experienced it, 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 it just sneaks up on you. And in a lot of ways, you don't even know that you're experiencing it at first. You could be depressed for weeks on end, and then it's not until you feel better that you realize, like, oh, wow, I wasn't myself. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, when you're in this, this situation of one day after the next, the next, and you're sinking, it's kind of like quicksand. And if you, you know, once you get knee deep, you know, it, it, it gets that much harder, and it's kind of like forcing yourself to get to the gym. And I, I just don't give myself a choice. Uh, and, and if I get to a third day, it's, it's no ifs, ands, or buts, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm either going to play hockey or I'm going to get on, on the bike or, or whatever it takes, hit the weights. And the physical exercise is certainly the biggest part. And, uh, you know, the other one that I would, I would, you know, comes to mind from, from your question is structure, structure and keep moving. So here we are, you know, trying to adapt to COVID and we're all, uh, you know, here in the States and however it is in your area and around the world, you know, sheltered in place. And that's a huge adjustment. <laughs> and how do you, you know, aside from, you know, mood health, but, but just find that structure. And, uh, and, and that's just so essential. So anyone who's kind of feeling lost and uh, I, I would encourage you to, you know, pick up an index card and, and plan out your day and make yourself do it. Mm. Well, I, you know, you and I have been working from home for a long time, and I mean, I've had my home office for 20 years, even though I have an outside office. But I have certain things that I've done and put in place. So that's a really good recommendation for people to bring some organization, some sequencing to your day, so that, you, that so it's not a mystery. And one sidebar, and this is where you're sure. talking about working out, and all the research is clear is that if I work out, that's better for my mood health than any antidepressant. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, but I was actually discovered, and many of the listeners have heard this story a hundred times, but with hypoglycemia in 1988. So it was really my, I was put on antidepressants by mistake. It was actually my blood sugar level. So I was, you know, drinking a gallon of Coke a day and stuff like, you know, crap like that. So when those people that are listening, it's not just one thing, it's all these other things that kind of fit into that. So thanks for sharing that and uh, sure. those components for people. And I appreciate your comment about, you know, once I get to day three, I need to take some action on adjusting my mood because we are responsible for that. Uh, you talk about in your book around combating spiders. What's that? You know, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's the one cautionary chapter and uh, I almost didn't include it in the book and now that the it, it's out a few weeks it, 
it actually tends to be the one that I'm, I'm hearing a lot about and people take to. And, you know, for the book, I'd say that if you like, like a Malcolm Gladwell or a Rhonda Byrne type book, you know, The Secret, that's kind of the genre we're talking about. And the chapter about Be Aware of Spiders is, is somewhat of a Gladwell where we're talking about thin slicing. And the, the point here is, you know, we're, again, we as individuals just trying to figure ourselves out, you know, we have our, our own challenges and, and those moving parts. And then there's everyone else who we interact with. And, you know, how do you really make sense of it all and, and interact effectively and also, uh, you know, look out for, you know, for your own benefit. And the thin slice here is that there are two kinds of people. One is that there are spiders, or essentially what we're talking about are manipulators, and there are those who get caught in webs. And it, it's a character trait of whether or not someone will make an intentional effort to manipulate another person. They either, either will or you won't. It, it might be 1% of the time, but you know, that, there's a line that you're crossing there. And it doesn't necessarily make these individuals a bad person, uh, but knowing that either if you're that kind of person, uh, you know, to be your better self, or if you're someone who has these kinds of individuals in your life, just to be a little bit more aware that, uh, that they have that capacity so that you can you know, navigate those relationships in a, in a, you know, in a safe way. So that's, that's the short of it. Mm-hmm. So how do I overcome this kind of manipulation or are you, are you talking to the reader who does it or the reader who is the victim of it? Well, really both, but I believe the vast majority are, you know, the, uh, non, uh, non-arachnids as it were. And, and yeah, I, I think that there's a, another, almost a, a third class of people in the sense that they're non-spiders, but they can recognize it. I think that's the goal of, of the book. So in another example uh, in there that, that crosses with this conversation, we talk about our tribe and the notion that we are in, in the close proximity of the combined average uh, sum of the five people we spend the most time with. And if you step back and, and you look at your tribe and you say, well, are any of them uh, spiders, number one, and then they may not use that on you, but do they have that capacity? It's important to know. But secondary to that is, are, are, is that a positive relationship? You know, if you were to just really be objective about it, you know, are those individuals, uh, you know, feeding you or are they draining you? And, mm-hmm. and you know, here you can make a conscious effort to maybe insulate yourself a little bit more uh, it could be a family member, right? You can only get so far away uh, in certain cases, but uh, it also is the opportunity to consider, well, who else is in my life that uh, I may want to enrich that relationship and, and reach out. And I think we all need to do a lot more of that proactively uh, in, in to compensate for not being able to get out right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, much appreciated. And you never know when a podcast is being listened to. So, I mean, regardless of our situation at the moment when you're listening to this show, we all have this application of that. So we only have a few minutes left in the show, Matt. So what are a couple more things in the book that really can add value to the listeners today that they can apply to their life? Sure. Thank you, Ken. Well, I think that we've uh, really touched on the areas around self-discovery and uh, enrichment and and awareness and things that, that 
that funnel into personal interactions like the topics we were just talking about. There's also an area around energy and mindfulness and the law of attraction. Uh, I mentioned Rhonda Byrne and how do you amplify gratitude as a way to enrich your life. And for example, if you're an entrepreneur or you're someone who has big goals or specific goals, how do you go beyond the law of attraction in the realm of something called inevitability, that's a late chapter, to define your why and how do you then get really clear about it so that you can set a plan to achieve it and kind of you know, win the battle within, as it were. So there's, there's, there's a wide range of things in the book, and what I would encourage anyone to do is, is just simply uh, go on Amazon, uh, look up Zisms Insights to Live By, read the reviews, take a free look inside, and you know, you'll know. You'll know if it's for you. Uh, certainly feel free to come to my website, uh, which is Z, as in Z, isms with the hyphen, right? Let's, let's put it this way. If you're Canadian, it's z-isms.com. And there's the free resources on there, too. There's uh, some of the things we're giving away from the book. The self-care report card, for example, is a, a real simple tool to help you keep accountable to your fitness. Mm. If you were to define your why, what is that now, Matt, for you at this stage in your life? So it starts with my family, you know, family first. Um, really, to, overall, is to just be a difference maker, to positively impact as many people as possible. I think a lot of people look to books for different reasons, uh, you know, as a as a calling card for their business. I wrote this, uh, you know, personally, and uh, and out of my pocket. It's really important to me to get in as many people's hands as possible because I know it's going to make a difference and. Uh, it's just already been so, you know, very rewarding uh, mm -hmm. in, in that way. And, and then, uh, you know, continue to, to do what needs to be done with the mission of the nonprofit and, and, and see that through as well in terms of its fruition. What's next for you, Matt? As we wrap up this show, what, what do you see in your future? What do you sort of envision? Well, the book is certainly my, my number one right now and, and will be for some time. And, it, one thing about it is that uh, there's a uh, a reader forum. So in that way, the book doesn't have an ending. It's a private Facebook group that I want to continue those conversations and build that community. Uh, so that's one. And then the other, uh, I, I do want to find a path to do more motivational speaking and, and build on uh, the concepts and, and things discussed in, in the book and uh, engage more directly with uh, uh, with people. Cool, great. So Matt, two things. First of all, uh, repeat your websites where they can find find you. And then what's your final word of wisdom for the Secrets of Success audience today? Uh, thank you. So uh, Z or Z hyphen isms, I-S-M-S dot com, uh, or just find the book on Amazon. And I, I think the final word here is to just, just stop right now and and consider the things that you can be grateful for having our basic life needs met and being with family or, and, uh, and, and build on that and, and focus on the positive and staying, staying present. Mm. Well, Matt, thanks for taking the time to kind of hang out with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Ken. I really appreciate yeah, stay, it. Stay with us, Matt. Well, thank you, uh, Secrets of Success listeners. You've been uh, listening to Matt Zinman. And, you know, go get his book, find out more about it, and look, at, look for it online. But one of the things we're really talking about is that, first of all, you know, do you have your why? 
And there are some things that we, no matter what the situation is going on at this very moment, whenever you're listening to this, is that we have things that we can be grateful for. Uh, Take responsibility for your mood health uh, and what the input is, where, who's influencing you, you know, bring structure to your life, all the things that Matt has talked to us today about. Thank you as always for listening. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, let somebody else know about it, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring The Secrets of Success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for The Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.